Hello and welcome to Bible 101. Please enjoy our Bible 101 series as we explore Genesis through Revelation. Also, listen to our roundtable discussions as myself, Greg Ross, and Eric Feeman talk about the major theological discussions of the Bible. Also, enjoy some of our interviews and apostolic apologetic series. We thank you so much for listening. Please let us know what you think by emailing BibleTTabernacle29 at gmail.com. That's B-I-B-L-E-T-T-A-B-E-R-N-A-C-L-E-29 at gmail.com. And also leave a comment to let us know what you think. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to Bible 101 again. And I know I've been posting a lot of episodes, but during the time of this pandemic, I want to take advantage of some of the extra time that folks may have. And I do uh, realize the fact that when the pandemic is over, there will be a lot less free time that people will have to listen to podcasts and to do things like that. So I wanted to post quite a bit uh, because also I know that I'm going to be running out of time after the pandemic is over. I'm going to have all kinds of things that I've got to get done. And so uh, during this time, when I have a little bit more time. Uh, I'm still working, thank God, but uh, I wanted to post some things that have been on my heart, and uh, hopefully this will be enough material to keep people uh, busy for quite a while. And so I want to talk, uh, start a new series called Apostolic Doctrine 101, and we're going to be talking about the message of salvation. This is how we're going to start, and I'm going to start with Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to really break this down. Um, Acts 2.38 is our specific focus, but I'm going to really break this down and talk about why we believe that Acts 2.38 is the plan of salvation. And so let's get into this. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse number 36. Now, in context, Peter is preaching a message after the Holy Ghost has fallen upon the 120 plus that were in the upper room. Uh, the Bible says there were about 120, so we don't know, but somewhere around 120 people received the, the Holy Ghost. All of them were filled with the Holy Ghost. They began to speak with other tongues. There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. And when this was noised abroad, they came together. They were confounded because that every man heard him speak in his own language. So when they started speaking with tongues, um, it was not a common language to all of them, but it was languages that, because remember, the Jews have been dispersed and uh, the diaspora is what they call it. They had been dispersed to other places. And so when these people uh, stumbled out of the upper room, they were speaking in a language that they could not possibly know because they said, are not all these which speak Galileans? So they were Galileans, but they were speaking in languages foreign to them, but not foreign to the hearers. And so uh, many different languages were spoken. You can read Parthians, Medes, Elamites, uh, dwells, dwellers in Mesopotamia, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, uh, uh, and then it goes on to give a long list. So there's many different languages that were spoken that day. And uh, it says, we do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So it was not gibberish. It's not, excuse excuse me, I'm not trying to make fun, but it's not da-da-da or la-la-la. It was an actual language that was spoken. And so I want to actually walk through what uh, happened on the day of Pentecost, and I want to talk specifically about what Peter said 
unto them and why we accept this as the message of salvation. And so what happens is after it was noised abroad, they came together. Some were confused and, and confounded, and they some of them mocked, and some of them said, what meaneth this? So Peter stood up, and because some had been even saying that maybe these men are just drunk, and Peter said, no, these men are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. So notice what he said, this, what was he talking about? He's talking about the speaking in tongues. He said, this is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. So he directly told them that the tongue speaking that was going on was the prophecy, the fulfillment of the prophecy, prophecy by Joel. And he said that prophecy is, it's Joel chapter 2 verse 28 by the way, you can refer back to that in the Old Testament, but he says, in the last days saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So he's saying what you're seeing here is the pouring out of God's spirit as it was prophesied in the book of Joel. Now this is important to, un to understand the entire passage. He says, this is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, young men shall see visions, uh, and all my men servants and in my maid servants, I will pour out my days of those spirit, and they shall prophesy. And then he goes on to talk about some of the futuristic prophecies. I'm not going to get into all that, um, but I, I do want to take some time to read it, and I didn't really plan to get into all this uh, specifically. But um, excuse me while I grab my Bible. And let's go to the book of Acts, chapter number 2. This is very, very important uh, for us to read this and understand it here. Let's go to the book of Acts, chapter number 2. And um, I'm going to begin reading. Uh, let's go to Acts, chapter 2. And let's begin reading with verse number 15. For these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit. Uh, of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, originally in the book of uh, Joel, it says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Um, talking about you're looking to him for salvation, for deliverance from the uh, from the situation that you're in. And so it says, uh, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, it, where a lot of people would be concerned is this would be end of discussion right here. Because, um, well, there you go. If I call upon the name of the Lord, I'm saved. And that's what a lot of people teach. You just call upon the Lord. You believe on him. You accept him as your personal savior. You say a little sinner's prayer which, by the way, is never found in the Bible. You never find anybody saying the sinner's prayer, anything that even resembles a sinner's prayer. Uh, Romans 8 is about as, uh, excuse me, Romans 10 is about as close as you can get. Maybe we'll talk about that later. But um, this is what it, it says here. It says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But he didn't stop there. He kept preaching, okay? And he said, You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Now, you know why, because uh, it says in another place, he did not do these things in a corner. Um, it, his Jesus of Nazareth was well known to all of them. Okay, that's an important point. Uh, maybe we'll talk about that in some other lesson, but not in this one. 
Uh, it says, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden in it, uh, a holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, saying, uh, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy uh, with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David. Now, he's referring to the Psalms, okay? And he says, let me freely speak to you of the uh, the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us to this day. Uh, so he's saying, basically, David's not speaking about himself, okay? He's speaking um, about something that doesn't refer to him because he said he's dead, and the proof of his death is with us to this day because his grave is still with us, okay? And then he goes on to say, uh, verse 30 of Acts chapter 2, Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, he, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. So he said, I'm telling you that scripture there is a prophecy of Jesus the Christ. Okay. Then he goes on to say this, This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost. Okay, now you're going to see this uh, quite a bit here, the promise. What does the promise mean? We're going to talk about that here in just a minute. So he said, the promise of the Holy Ghost. Okay, let's stop here for a second. And let's go back to Acts chapter 1 and look a little bit at the context here. Okay, um, this is all very important to understand what we're going to be talking about in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. So in Acts chapter 1, um, Luke opens this book and he refers to his previous letter, which was the book of Luke, and he wrote to a man by the name of Theophilus. Um, and so basically he tells him that uh, the former treaties have I made, O Theophilus. So he's talking about the former letter have I made, Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. That was the focus of his previous letter. Until the day in which he was taken up. That's how the book of Luke ends, by the way. Um, after that, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Uh, that's an important point perhaps we can get into later. Uh, so notice he was seen of them for forty days, okay? Um, and then it says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait, okay, watch this, for the promise of the Father. Which, saith he, ye have heard of me. So notice, what were they waiting for on the day of Pentecost? Um, what were they waiting for in the upper room when the day of Pentecost came and the Holy Ghost came? They were waiting for the promise of the Father. Okay? Which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. So the promise is the Holy Ghost. Maybe you should say that to yourself. The promise of the Father is the Holy Ghost. Okay? And he says... Um, with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. Uh, when they therefore were come together, they uh, asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore unto us again the kingdom of, of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. What are they asking him about? They're saying, We know the prophecies of the Christ. 
and we know that you told us about, you know, you had to suffer and die. We didn't see that before. We see it now. You revealed that unto us in the scriptures. But now are you going to fulfill the rest of the scriptures that talk about the Christ and uh, the, the, the fact that he's going to cause the Gentiles to, to, uh, to be humbled before the Jews and, and you're going to restore unto us again the kingdom of Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the times or seasons. You're worried about things. It's not important. He said, but this is what you need to be worrying about. Verse number 8 of Acts chapter 1, but ye shall receive power after that. That the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Remember, what was the promise of the Father? It was the Holy Ghost. After that, the Holy Ghost is coming upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Okay, so the last words he speaks unto them, according to the book of Acts, chapter 1, is you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. He told them to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. He said that promise is the Holy Ghost. You're going to receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses. But you can't be witnesses until you get the Holy Ghost. Okay, so that's why in uh, when they go in, into the upper room, uh, they are there tearing and waiting and probably, most likely, definitely, I believe, praying, uh, waiting for the promise of the Father. So that's why it's so important that when uh, Acts chapter 2 happens, it says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come. By the way, the, the name uh, Pentecost means 50. And uh, 50. Now, that's very, very important. Trace that back. You can actually find out um, Pentecost is about also the giving of the law upon Mount Sinai uh, being 50 days after uh, what happened there. So I'm not going to go into all that. And it says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Rushing mighty wind. Now, remember that on Mount Sinai, what happened? God gave Moses the law. Okay? But you can read um, in Ezekiel that God said there would come a day he put a new spirit within them, and he would write the law upon their hearts. And so what happened, this is a fulfillment of this in the book of Acts chapter number 2 on the day of Pentecost. Just like uh, they had a uh, uh, on Mount Sinai, the law was given to them. Now the new law is being put within their hearts. Okay, this is so important. It's beautiful, really. And it says, um, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Um, you, you remember how that when Moses went up on the mountain to get the law from God, the Bible says that there was trumpet blast and there was a great mighty quaking that happened. And so this is interesting because it says when uh, the new law is coming in to be put within their hearts through the Spirit of God, it says that suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. So just like there was a sound on uh, the day that Moses went up on the mountain, now, now there's a sound here. It filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. Well, you can read that talking about the mountain, um, and I'm not going to go into all that. But there's beautiful typology here uh, in, in the giving of the law. But if you listen to Bible 101, lesson number 13, we're going to go into that. So I'm not going to take a lot of time to go into depth uh, into all this stuff. And it said, There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Now what were they waiting for? They were waiting for the promise of the Father. What was the promise of the Father? It was the Holy Ghost. Uh, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And when the Holy Ghost came into them, the first thing they did, that they did is very important. It says, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. How did they know the Holy Ghost had come? Well, number one, it was announced very dramatically. Um, it came as a rushing mighty wind, filled all the house where they were sitting. Uh, they saw cloven tongues like, like as a fire. It sat upon each of them. But they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, all these other 
signs were uh, external, but this was an internal evidence. When they were filled with the Holy Ghost, it happened, something bubbled up on the inside of them, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, uh, really, you know, they uh, should have known this because when Jesus prophesied to them about the coming of the Holy Ghost, he said it'd be like you in a well of water springing up in everlasting life. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture said. Now, this is John. I just referred to John 4. But now in John chapter 7, in verse number 37, in the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So what is it? But this spake ye of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive it. The Holy Ghost was not given because it Jesus not you're glorified. So that tells us that was about the Holy Ghost. Read that John 7 verses 37 through 39. So he said it would be like a well of living water springing up, springing up in everlasting life. And then there he said uh, whosoever believeth in me as the scripture has said out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Meaning it's an experience that's going to bubble up on the inside of you. It's going to bubble up and something's going to come out out of his belly, out of his belly. Spring, uh, living water springing up. Okay, So it's like that bubbling up and then when they were the Holy Ghost, something had to come out of their mouth. They began to speak with other tongues. Now, some people would say, well, this was just for the communication of the gospel, because if you go on to read, and I apologize, I'm covering this information quickly, but I do want to get somewhere with this lesson, um, that uh, some would say that, uh, well, it's just so they could communicate with other nations, but that's wrong, because they were all Jews. Okay, let's read this. Uh, verse number five, and they were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews. Now, as Jews... There was a common language, uh, common Greek, which uh, was spoken by many, many people. And so common Greek was known to probably the majority, if not uh, all of the Jews that were present there that day. So they could have communicated, and I'll prove that point here in a minute. Uh, also, it's possible that they knew Hebrew, and so uh, they could have communicated that way, but they communicated supernaturally. It wasn't language that, languages that they had learned. And so God didn't need these supernatural languages just to communicate the gospel. God did this in a supernatural way. Remember, go back to Acts 1 and 8. Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. Okay, the, the, the Holy Ghost would give them the power to be witnesses. If they had just spoken in common Greek or if they had spoken in Hebrew, uh, the people might have been able to understand them, but it wouldn't have been supernatural. But because they're speaking in languages that they've never learned, it uh, it was a supernatural occurrence. Okay, let's move on. Uh, and it says, Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, and the dwellers of Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Greeks and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. Okay, so in this context, Peter stands up and starts to preach what I, the things I read earlier. Uh, talking about, he says, the patriarch David prophesied of the day that Jesus would be resurrected because he said, thou will not leave my soul in hell, neither will thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. And he said he couldn't be talking about himself here. Um, and so he's preaching to Jews, so it's going to be important that he uses Old Testament scripture to prove to them that Jesus was the Christ. And he says, all of you know about the great works that Jesus did. You know he was crucified and slain. He didn't have to spend a long time debating this and arguing this point. They all knew about it. These events had just happened. So it was fresh on their minds, okay? And uh, it was well known to them. 
And this is important because he goes on to talk about Jesus of Nazareth. Then he says, verse 32, This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God, exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost. Now he said, you know he was crucified and buried, but I'm telling you, he was not, uh, he's not dead. He's not buried anymore. His, his tomb is empty. Hey, look. He's risen from the dead. It was prophesied that this was going to happen. Now he's exalted. And the proof, listen very carefully. I've moved very quickly. Now I'm going to slow down. And the proof of his exaltation is the fact that it's what you see and hear. It's the Holy Ghost has been poured out. That's what proves that he's been exalted. Okay. Then he says this. He received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost. He has shed forth this, which you now see and hear. Oh, listen very closely to what he's saying here. He said, uh, Jesus poured out the promise of the Holy Ghost, which is the promise of the Father. And he said, he has shed forth this, what, the Holy Ghost. He said, you see it and you hear it. Two types of evidences for the Holy Ghost here. He said, it's something you're seeing. Uh, remember it says they thought they were drunk men. So these guys were probably stumbling around a little bit as they were prophesying and, and, and preaching in the spirit by the, the other tongues that God gave them, the, uh, gave them the power and the ability to speak. And so he said, you see it. And he said, you hear it. They're hearing them speak with tongues. This is proof of the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost being poured out is proof that Jesus ascended into heaven. Okay, uh, let's read verse number 34. For David is not ascended unto the heavens, but he saith unto himself, or he saith himself, the Lord saith unto my Lord, sit on my, thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Now there's a lot of things I could talk about here. Let me make a few points. To sit down means that a work was completed. I don't have time to get into all the specifics of that, but if just look it up for yourself. You'll see that what I'm telling you is truth. To sit down on the right hand of God means to sit down in the place of power and of authority. Okay, um, The Bible says uh, in the book of Mark, chapter number 15, uh, that Jesus told the high priest, he said, uh, I am. He asked him, are you the Christ? He said, I am. And hereafter you shall see... Uh, the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power. The right hand of power. Okay, so Jesus told us what the right hand of God means. It means power. To sit down means he's completed the work. So he sits down in that place of power and also of favor. What Jesus talked about, I will say to those on my right hand, um, come into everlasting glory. I'll say to those on my left hand, depart from me. Uh, and so to the right hand speaks of favor and it also speaks of power. Okay, so it says Jesus is sat down at the right hand of power and authority until his enemies become his footstool. When his enemies become his footstool, he's he's gonna he's gonna come back, and uh, the Bible talks about he won't come in a lowly manger next time. He's gonna come back as judge. He's gonna come back as the warrior with his garments dipped and rolled in blood. You can read that in the book of Isaiah, also in the book of Revelation. Okay, uh, and it says this, uh, verse thirty-six. Therefore, or because of this, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now what's so powerful about this is remember, he's speaking not just to Jews, he's speaking to devout men. These were men very familiar with the scriptures. This is an important point. Let me tell you why. These men were well versed in the scriptures. Now remember, um, 
Jesus had spoken the scriptures to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they weren't convinced, regardless of how much scripture he used. But on this day, the evidence of the Holy Ghost and what was going on in, in the on the day of Pentecost in up in the upper room and them spilling out of the upper room and preaching in languages they had never learned was a powerful enough witness that all Peter had to do was tell them, number one, this was spoken about by Joel. Number two, this proves the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, David spoke about it in the Psalms. He referred to two of those Psalms, and that was enough scripture to convince them. Because watch this, verse number 37. Uh, it wasn't that he used a ton of arguments. It was just the simple fact of he used just a few. He didn't have to use many because the Holy Ghost was powerful enough to testify. And that's exactly what Jesus told them. He said, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses. Okay, now that I've set the context, I'm going to slow down. And some of you out there are probably thinking, thank, thank goodness, because I can't keep up with him. Verse number 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. That means they were convicted. They were cut. And it says, And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now what are they asking? They're asking, We realize what you're saying is true because we see the evidence in front of us. We can't argue with this evidence. And they're saying, If Jesus is really Christ, we, we crucified him. We killed him. We put him to death. What hope do we have? What can we do? What, are they, what they're saying is, how can we be delivered? How can we be saved? Now, let me stop here long enough to say how a lot of people would answer this question at this point is they would say, well, first of all, you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's say the sinner's prayer together. And something along the lines of, Father, I admit I'm a sinner. And uh, I admit that I can't save myself. And I ask you... Uh, to, I thank you for the work of your son. I acknowledge him as my Lord and Savior. And I ask you to come into my life and fill me with your spirit. And I thank you by faith for doing this in Jesus' name. Something along those lines. It may be totally different uh, than that. But that's the gist of, of, of what the sinner's prayer would be. But that's not what Peter told them. Let's read what Peter said. Remember, what are they asking? They're saying, what shall we do? In other words, what can we do to be saved? Because if we've crucified the Christ, we've messed up bad. What can we do to be reconciled to God? Notice what he says in verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, repent. Okay, repent. We're going to go into all these things very in depth in future lessons. Right now, I'm just setting the pace for what we're going to be talking about, breaking this down. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive uh, 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 the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise, what promise? Remember? The promise of the Father, which they waited for in the upper room. And I'm sorry if I'm being redundant. And that promise is the Holy Ghost. He says, for the promise, the Holy Ghost, in other words, is unto you. Okay, so it's for everybody here today. And he says, and to your children. It goes on to the next generation. And to all them that are far off. Could be speaking about the Gentiles. Could be speaking about other nations. But also speaks about future generations. Even generations afar off. So it didn't stop with the apostles. It didn't stop with the generation after the apostles. It didn't stop with the early church fathers. It's, it, it's still going on today. He said, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all those that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call.
And then he says, with many other words, that he testify and exhort, um, save yourselves, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. That word untoward means perverse, crooked, in other words, generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly, watch this, in the apostles' doctrine, uh, in fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed uh, were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat and uh, with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Okay, so now I have set the context for Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. And hopefully I've talked about what the Holy Ghost is, what the promise of the Father is. It is the Holy Ghost. Uh, hopefully I've set the scenario that the question they asked, men and brethren, what shall we do? was them basically being asking the question, what can we do to be saved? Instead of leading them through the sinner's prayer, Peter responded with three things. Repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Ghost. And we're going to talk about those three things um, specifically. Okay. Now, all I'm going to do is give an introduction to this series today, and I'm going to keep this lesson about 30 minutes, and we're already clocking in at 27 minutes. So I'm going to just uh, ask, answer the question, why do we believe that Acts 2.38 is the plan of salvation. Number one, Jesus gave Peter to the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 16, you can read it, verses 13 through 19. Um, and I'm going to skip down uh, because Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon and Barjona, for flesh and blood had not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Verse 19, and I will give unto thee, again, this is Matthew 16 and 19, and I will give unto thee the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So Peter had the keys. That is very important. Okay? And so uh, Jesus gave unto him the keys to the kingdom of heaven. So that's point number one, is that Peter, it was important that Peter would be the one to answer the question, men and brethren, what shall we do? It's important that he would preach the message of repentance, baptism in Jesus, name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, because he had the keys to heaven. That doesn't mean he's going to be standing at the gate of heaven letting people in, but what it means is he would be the one to open the door to the Jews, first of all. We're going to see him also at the opening of the door to the Samaritans, which are half-breeds between Jews and Gentiles, um, and then we're going to also see him opening the door uh, to the Gentile nations in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 8, he opened the door to Samaritans by laying hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. Philip preached the initial message, but he was there to lay hands on them and for them to receive the Holy Ghost. Okay, now I realize I covered a lot of material there quickly, but he had the keys. That's point number one. Number two, the Holy Ghost was not poured out until after Jesus ascended into heaven. Uh, why do I use this point? Because some people would say, well, what about the thief on the cross? That is a mute point. Watch this, John 7, verses 37 through 39. I quoted earlier, so let's skip down to verse 39. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. What does glorified mean? Ascended into heaven. This is an important point because I had a man uh, ask me the question. He said, well, what about the scripture that says Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Ghost? Here's the thing. Jesus spoke that in prophecy. Okay, he said, receive the Holy Ghost. But the Bible says in Acts chapter 1, after that occurrence, when Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, the very last words he's spoken, but ye shall, shall, future tense, receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, meaning it hadn't happened yet. 
So he spoke it in prophecy. And the Holy Ghost was not poured out until after Jesus ascended into heaven. Point number three. Jesus left the preaching of the gospel in the hands of the disciples before he ascended into heaven. You can read that in Mark chapter 16, verse number 15. He said unto them, talking to the disciples, go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. You can read that in Luke chapter 24, verse 45 through 47. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Matthew chapter 28, uh, verses 18 through 19, Jesus came unto them and said, uh, said unto them, uh, uh, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. So he left the preaching of the gospel in the hands of the disciples. Number four, Acts is the beginning of the church. So we are apostolic, which means that we seek restoration. In other words, we want to teach and preach what the apostles taught and preached. Remember, it says they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Uh, and so Acts records the beginning of the church. And I've used this illustration before talking about go back to the original recipe. That is the beginning of the church. The book of Acts records the beginning of the church. And Acts 2 records the first occurrence of the outpourings of the Holy Ghost, of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, and the first occurrence of the plan of salvation being preached in the dispensation of the church age. Uh, excuse the word dispensation if you don't like that word. Let's just say church age. In the church age, the first time the plan of salvation was preached was by Peter when people asked him, what can we do to be saved? And what shall we do? And Peter said, repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Ghost. Okay. Number Point number five, and my final point in this uh, little lesson here today, this is the first time the question was asked, what shall we do to be saved? Okay, since I uh, have established that this is the beginning of the church, then all we need to do is find the first time the question was asked, what must I do to be saved? And that is found in Acts 2.37. I just mentioned that. Um, and when Peter responded, repent, be baptized, and get the Holy Ghost, uh, I believe if Acts 2 records the first time the Holy Ghost was poured out, Acts 2 records the first time that uh, witnessing went on. Acts 2 records, uh, records the first time that a message was preached. Acts 2 records the first time the question was asked, what can we do to be saved? And Acts 2 records the first time that there was a response to the question, what shall we do? In other words, what shall we do to be saved? Okay, so that sets the pattern. And next time we're going to talk about repentance, baptism, and Holy Ghost. And I'm probably going to spend one lesson on each of those and then uh, an additional lesson. So this will probably be a five-part series. Uh, then an additional lesson addressing many of the questions that we get. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this Bible 101 episode. Please leave a comment to let us know what you think. Also email BibleTTabernacle29 at gmail.com. That is B-I-B-L-E-T-T-A-B-E-R-N-A-C-L-E 29 at gmail.com to leave us comments, questions, or maybe ideas for future episodes. Thank you so much for listening.